Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Come to us, JP. Hey, come on. Hey, yo, 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 bring it in. Hey, this the moment right here. This is the moment we all been waiting for, dog. It's our moment. We're going to protect this with everything you know. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, NFL football is back. That is right. We have a live action game to talk about this week on this episode. That's right. You are listening to Season 1, Episode 6 of the Believe in Bucks podcast. I am your host, Evan Winter. Find me on Twitter at Evan underscore Winter. You can find my written work on BucksReport.com. And don't forget to not only check out this podcast, but the plethora of wonderful podcasts that the Believe Podcast Network has to offer on Believe.com. And don't forget to check them out on Twitter at Believe Podcasts as well. Everyone out there listening, I hope you're doing well. I know I'm doing well. We're about, this is a Friday morning when I'm doing this recording, so we're a little bit over 24 hours away from the Bucks kicking off against the Cincinnati Bengals. That is, unless Tropical Storm slash Tropical Depression Fred has anything to do with it. Bruce Arians actually commented on Thursday after Thursday's practice that the game will only be moved up a few hours on Saturday. So either way, the game looks like it's going to be played on Saturday unless something catastrophic happens. We know how hurricane season goes in Florida, so let's hope that gets avoided. But regardless, it sounds like we're going to have a game to play on Saturday despite the conditions. However, the conditions are also going to mandate whether or not starters play or how much these starters play. And a lot of that's going to be based off field conditions. Um, Arian said Thursday after practice that it's not really about the weather at the time. I mean, it could be a downpour as long as there's no lightning, obviously. But it could be a downpour. Um, but as long as the field's okay, then the starters still will get out there and at least see a few reps. But I digress. Let's go ahead and get into this week's news. Uh, before we get into the game preview, just wanted to go and make a few quick observations about the Bucks' first unofficial depth chart. Now, granted, this is the first unofficial depth chart. Nothing is set in stone. And honestly, at the end of the day, you've got to always ask yourself, how much meaning does this thing actually have? Is this being served as more of a motivational tool for your younger players? You know, your Kyle Trasks, who haven't been really playing that well in camp, despite Bruce Arians' recent comments about how he's fine with where Trask is right now in terms of what he's doing during practice. Um, that, that's always certainly a factor. So at the end of the day, don't get too overworked over the first depth chart, but there's certainly uh, some takeaways to be had when it comes to analyzing the depth chart. And the first one, starting with Kyle Trask, is he is officially the fourth-string quarterback. No big surprise if you've been paying attention to Bucks camp or the reports coming out of Bucks camp. Uh, he's been taking the fourth string reps pretty much since day one. That's how the hierarchy is right now. And essentially this means that Kyle Trask is probably going to get a promotion, quote unquote, whether you like it or not, going into the regular season. Bucks are going to probably stash Ryan Griffin on the practice squad. There's no way they're going to put Trask on the practice squad because he'll get scooped up in a moment. Yes, the Bucks can protect four players on the practice squad, but they can't do that earlier in the week. So while it will make teams harder to poach protected practice squad players, 
It's still not impossible, and it can still happen, and it's going to happen if Kyle Trask is on the practice squad. So um, big, big development right there, honestly, but at the end of the day, it doesn't really mean anything. So, you know, I mean, Kyle Trask and what he's done so far, when I was at camp, I wasn't impressed. Uh, So far from what I've read, nothing's really changed. But Bruce Arians is saying he's getting the mental aspects down. And if that's happening, you can always build on the physical stuff. Like, I mean, the big thing right now with Jacob Eason is he has all of the tools, but people don't know if he has the mental tools. And you can be physically gifted. You can have all the physical advantages at the end of the day. But if you can't process, if you can't think, if you can't get your guys in the right spot, if you don't know where to look, it doesn't matter what you can do in terms of physicality. So, Either way, though, Kyle Trask, four-string quarterback, uh, definitely interesting to see that. Um, Antonio Hamilton appears to have the fifth cornerback spot for now, which is good for him. He's definitely flashed in camp, and I think with his veteran experience, you know, I think he's been in the league for five years, Oakland, the Giants, the Chiefs. Um, that obviously helps out as well, and he can play special teams. So that looks to be the inside track right now. Now, granted, he is on the same plateau as Herb Miller, so it's kind of hard to tell who is cornerback five and who is cornerback six. But, I mean, just based off what I saw in camp, based off what I've read in camp so far, um, it's got to be Antonio Hamilton. Uh, Herb Miller, no disrespect whatsoever, but he just hasn't been practicing up to the same standard as Antonio Hamilton. Nick Leverett, man. So at second string guard, this is big. Now, granted, you know, he's listed as guard, but the Bucks have been practicing him at tackle. Bruce Arians essentially said he's a tackle inside of a guard's body. And I'm paraphrasing, but still, you gotta wonder. And I'm not here to I'm not here to, to debate which position this guy should be playing. My big thing at this point is, you know, is Brad Sitton's spot as a backup in trouble? Because you gotta think about it. The Bucks love versatility, right? Well, right now, Leverett is showing all kinds of versatility by being able to play guard and tackle and do both well. And right now, when you also consider the injuries along the interior of the uh, offensive line with Robert Hainsey not playing, Bruce Arians said after Thursday that uh, Robert Hainsey is not going to play Saturday night. And then you've got Donnell Stanley, the other backup center, the third string backup center. He might be out Saturday night. That's going to throw John Molshon in there at center. To have a guy like Leverett, who can not only play guard, but kick outside to play tackle when needed, is huge. And Robert Hay or Robert Hainsey, Brad Sitton can't do that. He can only play tackle. So as much as the coaching staff likes him and has talked well about him over the years, uh, versatility rules in the NFL. So right now, Nick Leverett, you got to think he's pushing out Brad Sitton at the end of the day. Jaden Mickens, my boy, the dude I've been pulling for pretty much all camp long. He's had a strong camp, and it's paid off in the form of the first depth chart. And that's because he's ahead of Jalen Darden, not only at punt returner and kick returner, but he's also ahead of him at receiver, which is cool in my opinion. I'm not trying to pit these two against each other, but you know, you always want to fight for those undrafted free agents, you know, those guys on the low end of the roster who just have to work their butts off uh, in order just to make the team. And so far, Jaden Mickens has done that, and you can see his improvement as a receiver. I mean, the dude has had a really strong camp. I've written about it. John Ledger, the pewter report has written about it. I mean, there people are noticing what Jaden Mickens is doing. And obviously the coaching staff is, uh, is, is 
observing this as well. So big deal. I mean, you know, if that if if he's got the wide receiver six spot right now, then that obviously means the Bucks are probably going to carry seven receivers into the season, unless you know Jaden Mickens messes up over these next three preseason games and through the rest of training camp. And that honestly would not be a bad deal at all. So a lot there to to wonder about as the as the weeks go on. And trust me, this situation probably out of the most is, is fluid. And you got to wonder at the end of the day. You know, we'll talk about this here in a little bit. Is how the Bucks are going to split up kick returner duties over these three preseason games. So at the end of the day, Jalen Darden is going to get plenty of chances to show what he can do in both regards, receiver and kick returner. And the preseason games are going to go a long way in determining how this plays out over the next few weeks. But still, right now, Jaden Mickens, so far, everything he's done is paying off, and you got to love that. So I'm going to keep pulling for him as the weeks go on. And then last but not least, of course, Ronald Jones second is the starting running back. We've talked about this several times. At the end of the day, the Bucks starting running back, that label starter, is probably going to be pretty moot because it's going to be a really close uh, snap share at the end of the day. I mean, I wrote about it a few months ago when Ronald Jones the second and Leonard Fournette were in the same game playing, like when one of them, the other one wasn't out for whatever specific reason. Uh, it was a 44% to 43% snap share between the two. So it, it's going to be, it, it's not going to be one of these guys getting 30 carries a game, the other one getting five. You know, it's going to be a 15 12, you know, maybe sometimes like an 18 9 split, whatever. Uh, but at the end of the day, this is still a starting position. So it's important. Jones is still the better overall player, and therefore he should get the first crack at a chance to produce. Um, even in how great Fournette was in the playoffs, his regular season was still not very good outside of a couple of plays. So, you know, it makes total sense for the Bucks to go with Ronald Jones based off the sample size he's provided over the last few years. And real quick, before we get into this Bengals preview, my honorable mention on the uh, depth chart takeaways is Cody McElroy at tight end four. You know, um, I was big on Jarrell Adams that first week of camp. He was playing really well. He's the better blocker of the three when it comes to Cody McElroy and Tanner Hudson. Uh, Bruce Arians even said that Tanner Hudson has regressed in his blocking the other day. So that's a pretty big indictment. So you don't think he's going to be winning that tight end four spot. Uh, it still could happen, though. But at the end of the day, right now, Cody McElroy obviously has a lead. But, hey, don't count out Drill Adams. If he can keep doing what he was doing week one, I'm, I haven't really read much about him since then, so it sounds like he's fallen off a bit. But either way, if he can get back to what he was doing week one, then uh, he could really ramp that competition up, um, at least that portion of the competition up as these final weeks progress. And speaking of final weeks... This week marks the beginning of the end for the preseason. <laughs> That's just like music to my ears because that means, and at the time of this recording, we are less than four weeks away from kicking off the regular season against the Dallas Cowboys. I mean, we are in the countdown. Uh, cool tweet real quick on a side note from Russell S. Baxter, a great follow on Twitter. If you don't follow him on Twitter, go check him out. But he actually tweeted out this morning that 27 days till the season opener uh, was how long it took Tampa Bay to get its first win, obviously, but it was also how many years it took 27 years Tampa Bay to win its first Super Bowl title, which I thought was pretty cool. I mean, outside of the whole, you know, going 0-26 to, to start your um, – initiation as an NFL franchise, for lack of a better word. 
But anyway, let's get back to this Bengals game, this Bucks bengals preseason game. Your defending Super Bowl champion, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. So just to go ahead and kick things off in case, you know, y'all haven't been paying attention to Bengals camp, we aren't going to get to preview the inevitable playoff showdown between Joe Burrow and Tom Brady. I say that tongue-in-cheek, obviously. But in a realistic sense, we're not going to be able to see these two go at it for, you know, however many drives, one, two drives, you know, seven snaps, whatever it might be, um, because Joe Burrow is not going to play in this game. The Bengals want to hold him out and continue to take things slowly with his knee. He has been a full participant in training camp. Don't get that twisted. The guy's been out there and doing everything, but it's just the Bengals want to take it slowly. They want to be safe with him, and, you know, you can't blame them at the same time. However, when you look at what they're trying to do as an offense and shake off the rust, you got a guy in Jamar Chase who hasn't played football since 2019 who's supposed to be a heavy contributor on offense. There's a, there's a difference between Joe Tryon and, and Jamar Chase right now, and it's not just draft status. Um, Jamar Chase is going to they, – they want him to be out there on the field a lot, and they need him to be out there on the field a lot because the Bengals' offense, no matter you know how good it looked at times last year, is still not a very good unit, especially when you look at the offensive line. We'll get into that for a second. But, I mean, when you look at Joe Tryon's setup, he's behind Shaq Barrett, he's behind JPP. The Bucks don't really need him to come in and do much this year. Now, granted, he's going to be a contributor because if you just watch his training camp practices, you know the Bucks are going to find ways to get Tryon on the field. However, it's just not the same when it comes to what is expected from him and what is expected from Jamar Chase in this first year. And right now, honestly, Jamar Chase hasn't really been that impressive based off the reports I've read out of out of Bengals camp. A lot of drops, um, a lot of issues with getting back into the game mentally. And that's also something Joe Burrow mentioned a week or so ago was he is not mentally over his ACL tear. Um, He's still not feeling the rush great. He's still getting the ball out too early. And trust me, man, I completely empathize with that. And not in the sense of me tearing my ACL and having to go play a football game because God knows I am not a professional football player. I mean, I can barely even do flag football. But when I did tear my ACL in 2019, to this day, 2021, almost two years later, I still have questions. You know, if I hop off my truck or if I, you know, jump, you know, I'm still a little cautious when I go to land because I just don't know how my knee is going to feel. And granted, yes, it's going to feel fine, but there's still that mental aspect of getting over it and trusting your body. And I can only imagine what it's like to have to do that with four 350 pound dudes running at you or you know whatever the number of blitzers are and so on and so forth so I can empathize with Joe Burrow on that and if he's honestly not ready in his own right in his own mind then he honestly doesn't need to be out there uh, no matter how badly he wants to be out there and he's made that known over the last couple weeks as well so if we're not getting the showdown between Brady and Burrow (laughs) then where should we be looking well Folks, all eyes have to be on the Bucks' pass rush this week. And that's because the Bengals' offensive line, just from what I've read through camp so far, has been dog duty. I mean, just straight up, just piss poor, not playing well, allowing sack after sack. And I'm doing air quotes when I say that because obviously you're not allowed to touch the quarterback unless you're Joseph Asai, who smacked Perot in the back uh, whenever he was 
coming off a rush uh, a few practices ago. And let's just say the Bengals coaching staff was not fond of that. But anyway, um, this offensive line is not good. And it's not even limited to the first stringers. Like, the backups are not good either. The third stringers are not good. So, no matter what unit Tampa Bay has out on the field, whether it's starters, second string, third string, especially now that Joe Tryon is going to be in with the second stringers and maybe even the third stringers at times, this Tampa Bay pass rush, especially with how good we know it can be and how much Todd Bowles likes to pressure, it should have a big night Saturday night. And Joe Tryon is actually going to be my player to watch that's not named Ross Cockrell because he should have a nice night. And, I mean, you want your first-round pick, especially with how good he's looked in practice, to come out and shine against backups. Now Joe Tryon might get mixed in with some ones. He might The Cincinnati might leave their – they're right now starting front five, and I'm doing air quotes again, but they might leave them in for a while just to get them acclimated uh, to playing with each other. Because, I mean, right now, though, Trey Hopkins, the center, is not going to go. Um, and then they've got a bunch of questions on the interior offensive line at guard, especially. I mean, they've had like six dudes rotate in and out there at guard. But either way, this Tampa Bay pass rush should have a very nice night on Saturday. Now, the one thing that could hold them back is, you know, a lot of times teams stay awfully vanilla in the preseason. They don't want to tip their hat to what they're going to do uh, during the regular season. You know, they want to keep it just basic because they don't want anybody getting a leg up on them. But either way, even if Todd Bowles keeps it as vanilla as hell, you know, I'm talking like, plain vanilla yogurt that has like no sugar no sweetener in it you know what I mean if you've had that before just gross but either way if if they want to keep it super basic then Tampa Bay should still have success I mean like I said this is just not a good unit and it's really been the hindrance outside of Joe Burrow's inconsistency uh, throughout Bengals training camp so far switching over to the offensive side of the ball Honestly, and this is just because he's Kyle Trask, but I want to see what he does, you know, against some third and fourth stringers. I highly doubt he's going to get any time against the Bengals' second stringers. He might. You never know because the Bucks obviously already know what they have in Blaine Gabbert and Ryan Griffin. They know what they have in him as well. So they might just decide to throw Trask out there and give him some early reps. Who knows? But regardless, he's going to be going against backups and not very good backups on the Bengals' defense. So it's going to be interesting to see how he performs against these lesser players. Obviously, he's had his struggles against the Bucks' third and fourth stringers in camp, so it's probably going to translate over into the Bengals' game. But if he does come out and he does show that he can perform against the lower levels of an opposing roster during a game and during live action, then that could go a long way, not only towards his development, but where he's actually going to be on this team whenever kickoff against the Cowboys roll around. And then Keyshawn Vaughn's going to be my other guy to watch on offense. Uh, I mean, dude, he's had a really good camp. He looks really improved. And he obviously hasn't touched the football field since his fumble against the Washington football team in the playoffs. So that's got to leave a sour taste in his mouth. But he's looked great in camp, showing off some great hands, He's been very decisive, very effective as a runner, and he looks much improved in his pass blocking. So he should have a big role on Saturday night. He should have a big role throughout the preseason in general, but uh, really intrigued to see what he does on offense and on special teams as well because, honestly, him being an effective special teams player is going to be his number one ticket to getting on the field this year because with Gio Bernard now in the mix as the third running back and the main pass catching back, 
opportunities are going to be limited for Keyshawn. So special teams would be the best way for him to assure that he gets on the field. But at the same time, a strong preseason, you never know. It could it could force the Bucks to carry four active running backs on game day, which would be a little odd. But at the end of the day, hey, you want your best guys out there. So if Keyshawn's one of the best, hell, put him out there. And then on special teams, you got to wonder how the Bucks are going to split up the kick return duties. I briefly mentioned this earlier, but you think you got to give Jaden Mickens and Jalen Darden both ample opportunity to show what they can do. I mean, first off, you're not going to get that many chances at kick returns because of how the rule is set up these days to where kickers can just boot it out of the end zone on a rather consistent basis. Uh, so the punt return is really going to be the area to watch, and that's really where the Bucks struggled in terms of a special as a special teams unit last year in 2020. Um, but like I said, at the end of the day, you got to think they're going to get split up. You know what Mickens can do. However, you want to make sure that he can still do that this year and he's actually improved. You don't want to be the same guy back there. Uh, but at the same time, you also want to see how Darden processes everything. So it's going to be really interesting to see how the Bucks handle the kick return duties because, you know, if Mickens just has the whole share, that might be a stronger indictment than anything. But either way, uh, that's on special teams, that's definitely what I'm going to be watching out for. And then I've got just a few names I want to briefly mention before we jump into a couple of Bengals tidbits real quick. And that's John Mulshon, who is going to be taking a lot of the backup snaps at center, thanks to Robert Hainsey being out. Haven't heard official word on Donnell Stanley yet, but <clears throat> I would bet to say that he's going to be out as well. Big chance for Mulchon to really come in there and make a name for himself. And remember, he technically made the final 53 last year in 2020. He just started on the IR reserve, you know, the three-week IR reserve list. So the Bucks coaching staff obviously likes him. Going to be interested to see how he performs there. Um, and then you've got Cody McElroy, uh, K.J. Britt, and Antonio Hamilton. That's currently the tight end four, the inside linebacker four, and the fifth cornerback, according to the Bucks' first unofficial depth chart, um, can they widen the gap between themselves and their positional competition on the roster? Big chance for them to do so. Big night for them to do so. So let's see if they can get that done. And speaking of done, that about rounds it up for the Tampa Bay side of things. Uh, just real quick, from a Bengals standpoint, I'm interested to see how well this secondary performs in the few reps it's going to get against the Bucks receivers, the starters. I'm talking about starters here, people. As long as the Bengals play their starters. And from what I've gathered, it sounds like they're going to play their starters on defense. Obviously, they're not playing Joe Burrow, but I do believe they're going to play their starters on defense. But regardless, this Bengals secondary, from the reports I've read in camp, has just been unreal, especially Chidobi Awuzi. He has been lights out, uh, arguably the best Bengals cornerback since camp opened. Jesse Bates is still Jesse Bates. Apparently, Vaughn Bell has made some really big strides, too. So it's going to be interesting to see how they go up against Antonio Brown, Chris Godwin, and Mike Evans, especially when you consider how good the Bengals' receiving core is supposed to be, that trio of Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and Chase. So that's what I'm going to be looking at on the Bengals' side of things, and even maybe their backups as well, because we know the Bucks have a really deep receiver room. We've seen that over the last two years, and you know they're gonna they're they're even going to be a big test for the Bengals' secondary. So now, and obviously, one preseason game isn't going to define you at all, especially in limited action. But from the reports I've read coming out of Bengals' camp, and then the competition they're going up against uh, this week in terms of the Bucks' receivers. 
the secondary sounds pretty damn good, and it sounds like it's going to be an effective unit throughout the season, which is a real credit to Lou Anarumo, the Bengals defensive coordinator, and what he's been able to do over the course of the last year or so. But at the end of the day, this should be a rather easy win for the Bucks. I mean, they're six-point favorites, according to betonline.ag. And it's no slight to the Bengals. The Bucks are just built better. They have better starters. They have a better coaching staff. They have a deeper roster than the Bengals do. I mean, Ross Cockrell, Raheem Nunez-Rochez. I mean, those guys would be playing for other teams, might even be starting on other teams at certain points. Uh, same thing goes with Antonio Brown, Scotty Miller, you know, all of them on the offensive side of the ball. But we also know how preseason games go. I mean, it's preseason, so <laughs> there's a lot still to be figured out and deciphered over the next day and a half. But regardless, we're there, people. We we have made it. The long wait is over for live-action football. We've still got to wait for regular season football. But the wait for an actual game to sit down and watch and to watch the defending champions get back into action, man... It's just awesome. It's such a great feeling. This offseason has been a blur. But hey, I guess that's what happens when you're when you're living above the clouds, right? Well, that'll just about do it for this episode. Thank you all again for listening so much. Uh, before I close out the episode, though, I this is going to be a little bit more of a somber note. wanted to mention the recent terrible news about former Pewter Report and Bucks reporter uh, Mark Cook who sadly passed away Thursday, August 12th. Um, just just terrible, terrible shock to the entire Bucks community. And for anybody who followed the Bucks and or Pewter Report over the last decade, uh, Mark was one of the best guys out there. Treated me with kindness every time we interacted, even though I probably didn't deserve it whatsoever. Uh, always acted like a friend towards me. Very helpful. You know, chatted on multiple occasions about different topics and just every time I spoke with him, every time I interacted with him, I always came away thinking, wow, this is a really cool dude. This is a really great guy. Um, and you can easily see why he was beloved by so many people. And I think uh, the reaction to Thursday's news on Twitter showcases that even more. Um, just just a terrible, terrible thing. But, buddy, just want to let you know you will never be forgotten um, everybody in the Tampa Bay community, as well as those across the country who knew who you were, they'll never forget you, man. They're always going to be grateful for everything you did, not just as a reporter, but as a person as well. And my deepest condolences to Daisy Charlotte and the rest of the Cook family, uh, his son, Douglas, uh, just, just terrible news. So everyone listening, please, uh, keep that family in your thoughts, you know, offer them good vibes. Um, you know, just whatever whatever we need to, to bring some type of balance back to that family's lives because, you know, obviously it's just an absolute tragedy. So on that note, everyone, uh, usually I do my typical send-off, you know, stay happy, stay healthy, all that good stuff, but I feel like that's, you know, not really fitting for this the end of this episode. So I want to close it out with that, you know, thank you slash remembrance note to Mark Cook. My condolences to the Cook family. And Mark, buddy, I'm saying this for you, and I'm sure you appreciate it, and you know I mean it with every ounce of my heart. Go Bucks!
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.